I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. By the way, we now have a merchandise shop on the website. So if you want your podcast swag, and you know you do, go to our website and click on the store tab. Stephen Prather is a professor in the Department of Religion at Boston University and the author of several books, including Religious Literacy, What Every American Needs to Know and Doesn't. You may have seen him on his appearances on The Daily Show or The Colbert Report. His latest book is called Why Liberals Win the Culture Wars, Even When They Lose Elections. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what you have to be fascinated by this political battle going on right now because it's all politics and religion kind of meeting at a crossroads what do you make of what's going on right now in the world of politics? Like evangelicals are going to Donald Trump instead of Ted Cruz. Bernie Sanders is very much not talking about religion as much as possible. Is this, I mean, what do you make of this? Is there an election going on? Is there a presidential election? Believe it or saying? not. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's happening. Apparently. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's, kind of a perfect storm for somebody who's into religion and politics. Uh, So many stories. Yeah, the Bernie story is really interesting in terms of he's Jewish, he's secular, he's kind of a nun, he's kind of, I mean, kind of a religiously unaffiliated NLNE. He doesn't really have any reason to talk a lot about his Judaism because there are 9% of Americans who don't want to vote for a Jewish candidate. He has even less reason to talk about his non-belief in God, because half of Americans don't want to vote for an atheist candidate. And yet he's got, you know, as I argued in, a, in an op-ed a couple weeks ago, he's he's got a, a platform that sounds a lot more like, you know, Jesus to me than, uh, than anybody else. So uh, that's fascinating. And then, yeah, evangelicals going for Trump, uh, you know... I just, every day I have a different theory about it, you know? I mean, one is that evangelicals no longer really know what evangelicalism is. Um, Another is that they don't actually care because they're now Republicans primarily rather than religious people. So their Republican identity is overwhelming their evangelical uh, identity. Um, But then there's just the fact that maybe they don't really care that much about dogma and they just kind of care about the narrative he's selling, which is kind of a a sin and redemption narrative. You know, we used to be great, then we were awful, and we'll be great again. You know, amen, that kind of thing. So, yeah, a lot's going on, that's for sure. Do you think it's part of, like, a power thing where they, they like being on top, and this is a guy who, who just kind of exudes power? Yeah, he's very alpha. Well, I think, I think that's part of it, but I think a lot of what, if you think, if you hear what he says, to evangelicals. I mean, he says these sort of vapid things like, I love the evangelicals, the evangelicals love me. Evangelicals don't even call themselves evangelicals, so even there, he's, he's kind of off in Wait, his syntax and what his, do they call his language, you know? Oh. But um, I, think, I think the real core idea is that evangelicals feel besieged, and as they've lost control, as white uh, Protestants have lost control over the society, which they used to be in control of for a long time, they perceive that as being, uh, you know, under attack. You know, that's the whole war on Christmas concept, you know. Um, and Trump is saying, I'll be your strongman. You know, I will protect you. I will protect you, he keeps saying. And I think 
as evangelicals have shifted from the kind of moral majority ideal of the 70s and 80s and 90s, where if we just get our message out, the majority of Americans will say amen to it, they've shifted to the, oh, no, the society of secular humanists. You know, um, people like you are in charge, Mm -hmm. and the evangelicals are the ones who are now the besieged minority that need protection. And Trump just keeps saying, that's his message to them. I will protect you. Under President Trump, you know, Christians aren't going to be kicked around anymore. And I think that's what they're attracted to. Do you think they don't see, like, he's not one of them. Do you think they they just don't care? They know that. And, you know, sometimes my friends are confused about that. I mean, evangelicals know that within 20 seconds. Right. He doesn't speak their language. They know. Two Corinthians. Uh, So they're not (laughs) confused about that. They're not thinking, oh, Donald Trump really is born again. And that's not what they're thinking. They're just thinking he's on their side in the battle. And they don't care that he's not an evangelical because they don't really have that many choices of people who are really evangelical. But like they've got crews if they want that. But he still tries to like tout as if he is. Like he talked about, he's talked about being born again. That he used to be pro-choice and now he's went pro-life. to Liberty University. Yeah. But is that, so is that pointless? Does he not need to be doing that? Do you think? No, it's working. I mean, he's getting a lot of the evangelical votes. Yeah. But going to Liberty is not saying, in, in my read of it, he's not saying I'm one of you. He's saying, I will protect you the way Reagan did. Reagan wasn't one of you either. Yeah. You know, everybody knew Reagan was divorced. We had never had a divorced, you know, president before. Uh, You know, Reagan's wife was pregnant with a baby before they were married. Um, You know, they knew that. Um, And but the evangelicals liked him because he was going to fight abortion for them. Mm. And I think it's a similar thing now. And I think the issue isn't fight abortion. It's sort of stand up against the onslaught of the seculars, you know, you guys are taking over apparently. Yeah. And uh, they want they want Trump to stand up for them. Do you think there's any truth to this idea that the reason they're not getting on board the Ted Cruz train or they didn't like Mike Huckabee this year anyway mm-hmm. is that they have supported these Christian or Rick Santorum Catholic candidates in the past and look where it's gotten them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's like, why bother following Ted Cruz and then just ending up with the same result they've had in the past? Yeah, I think the more typical strategy has been, let's get the politicians who will help us. And then when George W. Bush came along, it was like, whoa, we're going to have a twofer here. He's going to be on our side, and he is one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also remembering the older ones, at least Jimmy Carter. Remember, he was born again. He, he wasn't one of us. Yeah. So I I think there's I think there's a kind of pragmatism there. Um and you know a lot of them are voting for Cruz. It's not you know Cruz I think overall so far in the primaries has got more of the white evangelical vote. Trump's pretty close and Rubio's and they're pretty much split them three ways. So it's not like Cruz isn't getting them, but he's not getting half. He's not getting two thirds. You know he's not you know just totally dominating that so-called lane as they keep referring to it. You know. So what does that portal for the future then? If let's say Trump gets the nomination or let's just say, you know, the evangelical vote is going any which way within the GOP, what does that say about them, do you think, going into the future? I am not really sure. I think it's a really, really interesting spot we're in because it's unclear to what extent the evangelical base vote really is like a base vote that you think of Mm -hmm. because you know catholics used to be a vote they used to be reliably democratic now they just vote almost precisely like an average american there really isn't a catholic vote 
you know, there's just as, as many Republicans among Catholics as there are in the overall population. They're just likely to vote, you know, for Hillary Clinton or Obama or whomever as anybody else in America. So I wonder whether the evangelical vote is just kind of dissipating a little bit and it's just becoming like a Republican vote. Mm-hmm. It's a reliably Republican vote, but it's not really clear what direction um, what direction it's going. The, the big issues we used to think define that group, like abortion and homosexuality, those are kind of getting legislated away or um, public opinion polled away. So there, it really doesn't make a lot of sense anymore to be fighting about same-sex marriage. It's a settled issue. The population is going very quickly toward acceptance of, of same-sex marriage and of non-discrimination laws against GLBTQ people. Um, so I think just like the Republican Party is going through a, a major realignment right now, I think the white evangelical vote is also uh, going through a realignment. And a lot of those people have also left politics. That's another piece. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have got disgusted with it. How many times do you have to get promised that a president's going to come and do something about abortion before you finally stop putting your finger on the burner, you know? Uh, and I, so I think um, – and, and by the way, Trump is going to be – you know, the, the huge disappointment for these evangelicals in the sense that he has no interest in doing anything about gay marriage and no interest in doing anything about abortion. And, uh, you know, so he'll if, say what he needs to I, say, but he's not going to like. Yeah. If the complaint is broken, promises, do we really think there are going to be fewer broken promises under Donald Trump and <laughs> under George W. Bush? I find that hard to believe. I actually read an op-ed comparing Trump to um, to Schwarzenegger, actually, who did a similar thing that he was kind of banging the drum for, for conservatives. But the reality seemed to be that he just kind of wanted the power and sort of wanted the attention. So once he got into the got into office, he kind of didn't do anything about any of that. And they reckoned yeah. that Trump would be similar. Yeah. That he just, like, wants to get into the power and, like, has no desire to do any of this crap that, that he's promising. Yeah, and, and Trump is sort of uh, already forecasting that and signaling that in talking about himself as a dealmaker, right? Mm. He's saying he's not an in, in ideologue, he's a dealmaker. And dealmakers have to make compromises, you know, and bring people into rooms. That's part of why he's been vague about a lot of his policies, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, then again, it depends what white evangelicals really want. You know, do they want a strong man who's going to be tough? Are they really interested in his anti-political correctness? That's another piece. Maybe they want to stop being muzzled. They want to be able to feel free that they can say what they want to say in public. And they'll get that from him, even if they don't get, you know, um, same-sex marriage overturned or they don't get Roe v. Wade overturned. Yeah. It's hard to know. It's just a really, really interesting time. And uh, I'm fascinated by the Bernie um, things. You know, why is he downplaying his Judaism? Um, I think another reason why he's downplaying his Judaism is because he needs African-American votes. And there have historically been tensions between Jews and African-Americans. Hardly anybody's talking about that. But I think that that's another piece of, of why he doesn't – he's the Polish guy, right? He's not the Jewish guy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Hillary Clinton really hasn't been pestered too much about her religion that I've noticed. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, she'll talk about it. Uh, she doesn't go out of her way. She's not, you know, like Marco Rubio crossing himself when people talk about Scalia. You know, that kind of uh, conspicuous display of piety that you see with Cruz and you see with Rubio, she doesn't do. But when she's asked about it, she'll talk about her Methodist background and Bill Clinton will talk about her. 
Methodist background, and and then they'll both segue to something kind of like the Bernie move of that religion is really about the golden rule. It's about morality. Mm-hmm. It's about taking care of the poor and the oppressed. Uh, do you think there's ever so, going to be? Do you think there's ever going to be a time that we that we no longer are pressing? Because 50 years ago we weren't pressing necessarily pressing all religious leaders about how are you Christian? Are you Christian enough? How Christian are you? I know JFK <laughs> was a huge thing when he was Catholic. But do you yeah. think that we're going to swing back the other way of like it's their business, it's not ours? I don't know. I I don't suspect in my lifetime. I mean, you know, the main one of the big stories that you don't hear all that much about is that the the de- we have two religious parties now. I mean, you know, in in the late seventies, the Republicans decided to be a religious party, a values party, and to talk about family values and to fight the 60s on cultural grounds and talk about abortion and homosexuality. Uh, And that was very successful for them. And the Democrats stuck to the Jeffersonian line of separation of church and state and religion is a private matter all the way through the Kerry campaign of 2004, which he lost in part because of his unwillingness and inability to talk about his faith in a way that was compelling to to many Americans. Mm -hmm. And so then after that, with Obama and Clinton, you know, you just got this you know, pretty public display of religion. It's hard to remember a president who's been more Jesus-y than Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think Seriously. you have to go back to Carter, and and then I think that's it. So, uh, so we really have two religious political parties, and they both have a sense that there's something to be gained from being pious. The the push against that is that the rise of the religiously unaffiliated is remarkable, as you all know, and. And that group is now about the same size as the white evangelicals, and they're a very reliable base for the for the Democratic Party. And I think if that group continues to grow, the Democrats are going to have to say, you know, what are we losing by all the God talk, you know, here? I, I've noticed it with the Bernie thing that some of my atheist friends and secular friends, you know, that they were loving Bernie at first when he's on Jimmy Kimmel, and he refused to say <laughs> he refused to call. I mean, to uh, to say he believed in God, and he sort of seemed to be sort of coming out like a real skeptic, mm-hmm. but then he's moderated that position, and they've sort of been like, Bernie, you know, don't call yourself religious. You're not religious. Why are you doing that? Yeah, the, we're, the nuns are not yeah. nearly as monolithic, it seems, in terms of voting for exactly. Democrats. Well, exactly. as and not as monolithic. Well, actually, they're pretty, pretty reliable, very reliably democratic. I mean, if you look at, I mean, if you look at gay marriage, for example, they're you know, the, one of the most, I think, sure. maybe Unitarian Universalist and unaffiliated are the most pro-gay marriage. Um, but also a lot of religiously unaffiliated believe in God and, you know, think Jesus is their savior and stuff like that. So it's not like that group is all a bunch of atheists. But Let me, let me go people. to your book yeah. for a second. One of the things you say in there is that the reason conservatives uh, lose the culture wars is that they pick losing causes. So, you know, opposing marriage equality seems like a dumb idea. Preventing women's choice seems bad. Uh, Promoting torture and the death penalty, those just seem cruel. Is there any issue that it seems like the religious right is on that wouldn't be a losing cause for them? Because they pick these things and then, you know, they just go away one by one. Right, right. Well, part of the argument I make in, in the Why Liberals Win book is that what the culture wars are about fundamentally is about a story and a narrative that has to do with 
a form of culture, a form of life that's passing away and that's worth fighting to recover. So it's kind of a, a nostalgia, an anxiety, a fear about the transformation of America, about it becoming something different. So a classic anxiety right now is we have a black guy in the White House, right? And we have a kind of nostalgia for when America was more white and controlled by white people or a nostalgia when America was more Christian and now it's multi-religious and we have all these secularists or a nostalgia when we used to have small towns and now we just have big cities. So that kind of uh, dredging up of anxiety and fear only works when there's actually or typically only works when there's actually something to worry about, right? So the anti-Catholic culture wars I talk about in the 19th in the 19th century don't really start until you get enough Catholics in Cincinnati or Boston or Philadelphia to start to see Catholics as a threat. But once you get enough Catholics to see them as a threat, they're already becoming your coworkers and your neighbors, and they're already integrating themselves into the society. So it's harder to kick against them as they gain, you know, control. Same with the, the gay and lesbian issue. You know, it doesn't really emerge as a culture warfare issue until the kind of the late 1980s. And by that time, you're getting more and more lesbians and, and gay people out of the closet and people have gay friends. And um, so I think in general, that's that's the way it works is you kind of pick a cause that is already on the losing side. And we're seeing it now with, you know, Rubio talking about, yeah, I'm not only against abortion. I even think we should oppose abortion with rape and incest. You know, um, is that going to be policy? Like, no, of course not. He knows that, but it works to present himself as a culture warrior who's fighting for God and for, and, uh, and for justice. You know, I do think there's some issues where, the conservatives are winning and gun control would be one example. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's about a, a kind of culture. It's about a sort of macho Western American culture. And uh, it's kind of amazing to me how little traction the left has gotten there, like with all these killings and Columbine. And, um, but the right is winning that one right now. So what do you think when it comes to like gay marriage, for example? The religious right has basically lost that battle. They'll they'll put up some fight, but really they've lost the bulk of that. And social uh, numbers, I mean, if you look at surveys and everything, it's going away from their direction too. People want to see yes. tolerance, equality, things yeah. like that. And I wonder, like, it seems like even they realize this is not something we can fight. I mean, sure, Ted Cruz can say we're going to bring back traditional marriage, but right. I think most evangelicals know that's not going to happen. Uh, right. Do you think if you if you think like gun control is maybe one of the bigger issues now in the culture wars, is it possible that in the future, let's suppose hypothetically here, uh, Obama gets a justice to replace Scalia. Let's say we get a liberal uh, right. uh, skew on the Supreme Court. Let's say we actually enacted some real gun control measures. Do you think evangelicals are also going to be like, well, we lost this one, too. We'll try another one. Or will they put up more of a fight on certain issues, too? No, I think it's perennial. I mean, I think, you know, on the gay marriage question, to me, the, the, the way that swung so fast was kind of amazing. I felt the kind of historian's whiplash there really happened quick. And I saw a study that just came out last week about public attitudes toward gay marriage and non-discrimination laws and religious, religious exemptions to, you know, non-discrimination against LGBTQ people. 
and uh, 56% of white evangelicals were in favor of uh, non-discrimination laws. So they're already on the left side. They're already white evangelicals. That's fascinating to me. So they're not even fighting, you know, states that are saying, look, we need to pass laws that protect gays and lesbians from discrimination in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think the culture warfare thing is really perennial. And one of the arguments I make in, in the Why Liberals Win book is that, you know, these didn't start in the 60s or 70s. They've been around since Thomas Jefferson and the election of 1800. Um, we had culture wars against Catholics. We had culture wars against Mormons. We had culture wars against Jefferson for being whatever he was, you know, maybe an atheist, maybe a deist, maybe a Unitarian, but certainly not a normal Christian. Uh, then we had culture war over prohibition, and we recently had culture wars over, you know, homosexuality and abortion, and then recently over Islam. And that um, this seemed to be something really deep in you know, American culture that makes it happen. And my argument is what makes it happen is cultural conservatism. And conservatism is kind of most fundamentally about this nostalgia for a form of life, a way of, of living that is passing away. And there's always people, as long as we have conservatives, I think uh, we're going to have culture wars. So are we, it feels like we're getting more polarized as a country. Is that accurate or is that just our perception because we're living it? I think it's accurate. I think it's accurate. We're more polarized um, both in uh, our public, you know, rhetoric of politics. You know, what senators and and uh, representatives say on television, and what pundits say on TV. Um, but also, if you look at public attitudes, we're becoming more polarized. The parties are becoming more pure. When I was young, there were liberals in the Republican Party, not not moderates, like liberals. Mm -hmm. And there were conservatives from the South, especially in the Democratic Party. And so the parties kind of mirrored the society in the sense that they had different types of people who were attracted to them. But ideologically, they both covered most of the political spectrum. And that's really going away. And that's part of what, what Trump is, is busting is, is that, that clear division. Like, what is this guy? Is he a Democrat? Is he a Republican? <laughs> like, he doesn't make any sense. He's whatever you want him to be. <laughs> He's an anomaly, He's you know. Everything and nothing. <laughs> He's uh, so, yeah. So um, I think we're definitely becoming more polarized, and I think that's that's a combo of gerrymandering, of congressional districts. It's a combo of social media, and podcasts. People who you know listen to this podcast because they're atheists, you know, and uh, people who listen to right wing evangelicals because they're right wing evangelicals, you know. So I think that there's there's fewer, you know, commons where we meet and and kind of recognize our shared humanity, our shared Americanness, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I even noticed that on my Facebook page, you know, I try to have a lot of people on it, but it's so hard to find people who get the Trump thing, you know. <laughs> I just keep trying to say, you guys realize Trump is winning, right? You guys realize Trump is going to get the nomination, right? Do you think he's going to get the nomination? Yeah, I think Trump, yeah, is definitely getting the really? nomination. Really? Yeah. Oh, President I Trump. It, I can't. I don't see any path for him not to other than, a, you know, a heart attack or something. Yeah. I mean, uh, if, you, if you just took his name out and just called him Candidate T and oh. you had Candidate R for Rubio and Candidate C for Cruz and mm -hmm. you showed the results, you know, 
three wins and a second place and how far ahead he is in the polls in almost every state. Yeah, there's no way you'd imagine anybody else would win. Yeah, though I guess he probably has more of a chance of the bombshells coming out after he gets the nomination, yeah. too. So there's that. Honestly, I <laughs> think Ted Cruz is worse than Trump. Like, I think Trump Trump is, like, the worst. Because he's conservative but, like, and convicted. <laughs> and yeah. Trump will go either way. Ugh, and he's got that dumb face. <laughs> so Yeah, it's pretty weird to imagine that for the left, and even for the secular left, that <sighs> Trump is better. But I think he is. You yeah. know, what I mean, if you're a liberal, he, yeah, and he, uh, he's not. You know, he, he is a nationalist. He's an ethno-nationalist, and he's a culture warrior on those issues that have to do with religion and race. Um, but he's not on the family values things. I mean, I believe in his. You know, his heart is that what I'm about to say? You know, in his yeah. heart of hearts. <laughs> what? Um, that that uh, he, it's gold plated. Uh, he doesn't care about abortion and gay marriage. You know, yeah. he's from yeah. New York. He he's been married three times. I, I presume he's had extramarital sex. You know, like I I don't think he's worried about that stuff. Yeah. Ugh, this well, just all got really real Cruz, to me. Cruz is, and I think <laughs> Cruz has this messianic thing about him from his father that he's been anointed by God to carry on this mission to Christianize the society. Yeah. You know? Let me flip to the other half of your book's title here, like. Why is it that liberals lose elections? Is it because we're not as we don't coalesce as well as the religious it's right does? Because young people don't vote. <laughs> yeah, like how do liberals win elections? Yeah. What do we have to do? So, I mean, liberals obviously win elections, but I think the culture. If if you ask why, as I did when I was researching this book, why do conservatives keep fighting these losing battles? You know, why do we get in the very first Republican debate? Why do we have everybody trot out anti-abortion, anti-gay um, rights? Why do they do that? Don't don't they see the polls? Like mm-hmm. they're running for president, right? Well, they're running for the nomination. And in their states when they're running for governor or, they're, or in their states when they're running for senator, they're appealing in Mississippi or Alabama or Tennessee or wherever they are to these people who like these cult- – who like – being on the wrong side of the culture wars, or the, we should say the righteous side of the culture wars. So mm-hmm. there's this dynamic that basically sucks Republicans in the primaries into these losing culture war issues because those are winning for their their side, you know, for their Republican side, which is smaller than the Democratic side. And so that keeps playing itself out, and that's one of the reasons why Republicans are sort of increasingly dooming themselves at this, you know, national level. Um, by bringing up these, you know, issues. I mean, it's going to be a horror show for Rubio if you were ever to be nominated. What the position he's taken on rape and incest—horrible! Yeah. Like that's really going to hurt him with a lot of people in the middle. They have to go so far to the right to win the primary nomination that there's yeah. so much it's ammo to, to use against to... them for the yeah, general. I mean, yeah. it really is on immigration. It really is kind of comical. It's almost like they're trying to come up with harsher swear words for Mexicans than the other people are. <laughs> no, that's. Like, it's yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like, no, I never considered any form of, of you know, amnesty or compassion for any of these people. I never would do that. Why, how can you accuse me of that? It does you know? seem funny that we see a lot of uh, pundits now, even or, or political strategists, saying, if I were working for any of the non-Trump Republican campaigns, he's giving you so much stuff to use against him. I can't believe Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio aren't using this stuff against him. Yeah. They're so afraid of attacking him, it seems. 
But see, presidential elections are not about policies. They're about emotions and about the resonance people have with people. Mm-hmm. And when they attack him, he attacks them back. And and that's what so many Republican voters want now. They want somebody to stand up for them. Yeah. So, you know, people were just today asking Rubio, why aren't you attacking Trump? Well, what good is that? Like, did you see what Trump did to Bush? I mean, <laughs> oh, I just wanted to, like, give George, I mean, uh, Jeb Bush a hug. Like, right. I would oh. never want to vote for him, but you feel so sorry for the guy. He, he's been, like, verbally destroyed by Trump. And um, and that works. And so, Trump's really good at being a bully. It worked. And so why, you know, first of all, you're going to lose the battle because Trump's the biggest bully. He's the alpha male. Everybody acknowledges on the stage that he's the alpha male. So you're going to lose that piece of it. You're not going to be able to stand up to him the way he's going to push you back. And then the issues don't really matter. And then in, even in, in giving him an opportunity to fight with you, you're allowing him to prove his alpha maleness, mm-hmm. his strength, the kind of things that people, these voters are wanting. So I think it kind of makes sense. I think Rubio has been smart in a way not to go after him, and, and Cruz's efforts to go after him haven't been, haven't been successful. Do you think there's some issue that, like, uh, in the last election, whether it was gay marriage or something, or in 2008 gay marriage, that really brought the right out to vote? Do you, what's the biggest issue, you think, for the left that would really get them to the polls this November? Oh, the left. Yeah, what would, um, what would get liberals out to, to support whoever the I Democrat think, is? I think um, – I do think Hillary will turn out women. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, – I think the Supreme Court nomination, if Obama nominates a uh, – Hispanic or African-American, I think that will turn out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think Obama will turn out black people like he did last time. I think he'll campaign very hard for Hillary. And um, so I think that's a danger. I think it's a danger that some of the Bernie, you know, the, all that Bernie energy of young people is going to dissipate, yeah. you know, when Clinton gets a nomination and that they won't show up. I think that's the real danger. But I do think there will be issues that will motivate them. I think women will be motivated by – I mean, I don't think they'll worry that much about Trump on the abortion question. Mm-hmm. But I think on the race, I think it will be a lot about race. And uh, we have a racist who's running, and we don't want a racist to be president. I think that will be a big part of it. I'm curious what you think um, what's going to happen in the next 20 or 30 years, because while we do have a huge chunk of young people who are really liberal and by and large not super religious, people tend to get more conservative as they get older. That's correct, right? Yes, in the past, right. Uh, More more conservative and also more uh, religious, right? And do you think that's going to hold true for Gen Xers and millennials or whatever comes after them? I don't know. It's really hard to know. I, I think, I think in part, I think in part, but, and it's also re- really, really regional. So, yeah, that's true. You know, I think that's one thing so many of my friends in liberal Massachusetts forget, you know, when they're rolling their eyes about Trump, you know, they just, they don't understand how many, you know, upset white working class people there are in the United States who speak to him, you know. How is he drawing um, these 20,000 people at a rally? Because there's that many people disenchanted with yeah, politics. It's yeah. not that they're more, just morons. It's not that they're just stupid and, and hateful people. It's that 
It's that the Democratic Party has ignored them. Yeah. You know, and uh, Trump is not ignoring them. So it's hard to know. I mean, I would guess that, you know, I think, I think that the long-term trend that I'm seeing is toward this more diffuse spirituality. It's not toward atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's toward something a little more like Bernie, you know, um, but maybe Bernie plus going to synagogue you know, every couple of weeks or going to church every couple of weeks, but not if you have a really good golf game or not if you have a really good hike that you want to take <laughs> with your friends. Um, but but hanging in there with some sense of God or the divine or, or providence or, or, you know, that things happen for a reason, you know, that kind of stuff. I think I'd be surprised if that really goes away and we become like France or Italy or Spain really quickly. Um, but I, at the same time, I used to be one who just didn't think there was a lot of movement on this, that I, I downplayed the, the, uh, religiously unaffiliated data because I knew that that didn't mean secular, you know, it meant, it meant non-Christian or non-Jewish. And some of those people who said they weren't Christians were born again, Christians who didn't like the church, you know, or who believed in God, but didn't think any of the. They didn't want to affiliate with any particular religion, but those numbers are growing so quickly. Um, and at the same time, the non-believers in God data is, is growing pretty well. Although the atheist data is not growing as fast because that still has a stigma right. that you guys are working hard to overcome. <laughs> Slowly um, but surely, yeah. But uh, so I don't know. My guess is you're going to continue to see growth in that spiritual but not religious peace and probably some moderation on the Christian side and on the evangelical Christian side too. I think the brand has really been hurt by, um, by the really close identity with the Republican party. I think, yeah, I think a lot a, of young Christians real... have said that too. Yeah. Like they don't like yeah. that the parties or that the faith is so closely identified with the Republican. Well, even people like my dad who is a lifelong Republican is like, I don't know. Like, I don't think I don't know if I'll ever vote Democrat, but he's like, I don't know who these people are anymore, and they don't represent me, and I'm not sure who they are representing. But the party yeah. left me, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, when you're writing about religion and politics, I suspect a lot of the ideas in your new book were probably in your head for a while. So, what bit of research did you come across that really blew your mind away? I was really surprised at how the liberals kept winning these. I didn't know that when I started. I started this book with the Ground Zero Mosque controversy. It kind of drove me crazy that there were all these important national uh, conservative Republicans who were arguing against the mosque being you know, built, or it wasn't even a mosque, it was an Islamic community center being built near Ground Zero in lower Manhattan. It seemed to me kind of a no-brainer, like religious li- uh, liberty, private property rights, these are kind of classic conservative values in America. Um, so I just started to research that and I went back and started relearning about the contemporary, you know, culture wars from the seventies and eighties. And then I realized to figure those out, I need to look back farther. And I was looking at prohibition and I was going back to anti-Catholicism and that took me all the way back to the election of 1800. And I really was just trying to follow, you know, my big idea at the beginning was culture wars are nothing new, but we've had them forever. And what, can we learn about our contemporary fix over Islam by looking back? 
And then as I started looking back, I was really surprised that oh, this is weird. Like, it seems like conservatives keep starting these things. They pick the fights and then they lose them. That's weird. <laughs> I think if you were picking the fight, you'd win the fight. Like, the only time I got in a fight in uh, grade school was, like, I picked a fight with this kid I knew I could beat. I was kind of a weakling, and he was, like, the, the bigger weakling. Um, I mean, isn't that what you do? You pick a fight, you can win. Yeah. But they were like picking fight with a bully on the on the on the playground. Like that doesn't make any sense. You're gonna <laughs> lose that fight. So that's that's what really that's what really surprised me. And then I spent a long time puzzling over that, trying to figure that out. Do they really think they're gonna win these fights going into them? Oh, yeah. I don't know that they do. I think I think that I mean I'm 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 not sure. I think the rank and file is hopeful. Yeah. You know. But I think it doesn't even matter. It's just that, you know, this is part of the Christian idea, right? I mean, Jesus was killed, right? Jesus didn't win. He wasn't victorious, right? I mean, unless you see the resurrection as the victory, which is the classic idea. But in his life, you know, he goes into Jerusalem and he's like killed. So there's this martyr tradition in Christianity where the victor is the person who lost, right? The victor is the person who got killed, um, there's an inversion there in the story. And so I think that I think the cultural warfare thing has a similar inversion where in some ways if you lose you're more righteous. You know, if you win, <laughs> yeah. it just shows that you're, you know, an establishment person or something. I mean, you every know, time there's a victory for like in a church state separation group, yeah. I always get the emails from the Christian groups defending the other side, saying, you know, we lost, but we're gonna keep fighting this fight, yeah. like they they play the right. martyr role really well, and they make yeah. bank off of it. Sure, but yeah, yeah, they love playing that role. Well, that's a good way to rally the troops, right? Yeah. It's like Sorry, we lost. Go ahead, oh, I was just saying, it's a good way to rally the troops. Like we we lost this, we're not going to lose the next one. Like we're righteous, yeah. even though we're being bullied, which is ironic considering they're the majority. Right. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's this American tradition that's related about the outsider, right? We're a nation of outsiders, and you kind of. You kind of assert your authority in the culture by being the by being the outsider. It's better to be the outsider. It isn't. This isn't new. Where people are running by, you know, hey, I'm not the Washington establishment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we root for you know the Chicago Cubs because they haven't won the World Series in a century. Yeah, Woo, we do. Cubs. You know, I mean, I hate to you know bring up a sore subject. This but, is yeah, our year, though. This is our year. <laughs> so um, you know, that's kind of in our that's kind of in our cultural DNA. Yeah. And I think that's part of what the culture wars are tapping into also. For sure. Well, well Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, your latest book is Why Liberals Win the Culture Wars Even When They Lose ex- Even When They Lose Elections. I go. did it. Got it in two. Uh, <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Bloomke. We hope you'll join us next time.